With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in Rose City to the first episode of the new edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan Clark. I am the Oregonian's beat writer for the Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns, and I'm joined by longtime blogger uh, Chris Reifer. Uh, Chris, how are we doing today, man? Uh, I couldn't be more excited to, to get this uh, back up and running again. I feel like you know, I'm coming out of retirement a little bit. Is there a good coming out of retirement sports uh, sports analogy, or, or all the second time through is sort of just a, a bit of a disaster? You know, it's it's kind of a Michael Jordan type thing where where we we should have just put out a press release that just two words, "I'm back," uh, released by Chris <laughs> Reifer, which which would have uh, fit really well to the hype that we've we've seen on Twitter for your return and and um, you know, I'm really excited to work with you. This is this is an exciting moment for for the Oregonian to be able to not only have a, a beat writer back on this um, this beat, but to have a podcast where we can, you know, talk openly about all the things related to both of the teams. And there are obviously no shortage of, uh, of topics that we can um, explore uh, on and off the field for, for the Timbers and Thorns. Welcome to the beat, by the way. Uh, you're, yeah. you're a relative newbie to the community. So relative, uh, you know, welcome. Uh, you, you've, you've uh, had, a you know a welcome somewhat by fire uh but i, I think folks uh, folks have, have have very much i very much admired your work so far uh what, what what have you done before coming uh coming over here to the timbers and thorns beat uh that, that has so well prepared you uh to take on uh, on 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 this bit of reporting in terms of of the challenges of reporting on the off field um, issues that the timbers and thorns have faced um my training came in the form of covering the Newburgh school board uh, for a, a local newspaper, uh, the Newburgh graphic. That was my previous job prior to coming to the Oregonian. I, I worked there covering news and high school sports. Um, and the Newburgh school board uh, was needless to say, an extremely controversial entity uh, that had, <laughs> had no shortage of opportunities for me to write stories that um, some of which, I mean, made national news because of how politically charged um, that situation is. And so, um, that was, you know, chaotic, but it was fun. And, and it, it was like you said earlier, a baptism by fire kind of situation for me as a, as a young <laughs> reporter. Um, that allowed me to get this opportunity really to come to the Oregonian, um, started out covering high school sports, which was a lot of fun alongside Nick String. Shout out to Nick String, who, um, is carrying the load on, on that beat. And, um, sending freelancers out throughout the, the Willamette Valley and elsewhere to cover high schools now. Um, 
and and this opportunity is really exciting for me. You know, I grew up in in the Portland area and Beaverton specifically. Uh, went to Westview High School. That's a problem right off the jump, to be honest, because I'm a Sunset alum. Oh God, I had no idea we had a a, a rivalry. <laughs> Unbeknownst to to the two hosts here, we the Apollos you know, yeah, versus actually, the Wildcats. I, I regret this whole coming out of retirement thing. Let's shut it down. <laughs> like, we're done. Oh God, we're we're gonna have to work some of our demons out here, buddy. Because uh, there <laughs> there is certainly a, a, a virulent history there uh, between our our two sides. But um, I'm I'm assuming you didn't uh, also attend University of Arizona. I, I, I did not. I did good, not. I went to a good. tiny little school in Idaho called the College of Idaho, which is a wonderful place. Uh, but I don't bump into too many rivalry conflicts unless you like happen to, to run into an Eastern Oregon University or Northwest Nazarene uh, uh, alumnus somewhere. So, uh, that's not, <laughs> yeah. that, college is not a problem for me. I, I infer, though, that you're an ASU guy. Yes, I am. Yeah, that's it's very good that you did not hail from Tucson. Otherwise, we we may have be cutting this podcast short like five minutes in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's where I went to school. Was Arizona State. Uh, studied journalism there at the Cronkite School, and uh, that that was a lot of fun for me because there was a lot of sports journalism opportunities there. Working for the local newspaper, student clubs, doing internships. Um, and and for me, this opportunity with the Oregonian is really a dream job, being a kid who wanted to be a sports journalist growing up and then um, being from the Portland area. So really excited to get rolling on this. Awesome. Well, you, your excitement is is matched by mine uh, to have you here. And, and, and I think uh, I, I think it's echoed uh, already throughout the, the, the various places where uh, the, the Timbers and Thorns community shows up online. Um, and it's been both consuming your work and appreciating it over the last few weeks. So, uh, let's, let's, let's dive in. Let's expand on it. Let's get going. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the, the recent coverage for me, um, has obviously focused on a lot of the off field challenges the Timbers have faced, particularly the, um, Andy Polo investigation and, and, you know, my reporting lately, um, based on what the MLS has told me is they fined the Timbers $25,000 for failing to report the May 23rd uh, incident involving Andy Polo, where he was alleged uh, to have committed a misdemeanor harassment. Um, and Genesis Alarcon, his, his estranged partner has claimed domestic violence in that situation. Uh, according to the MLS investigation, uh, Timbers GM Gavin Wilkinson asked the team's uh, legal counsel whether they needed to report it. Uh, and both of those individuals claimed to the MLS that they did not know whether or not they needed to. Uh, and so they didn't. Um, based on the MLS constitution, though, they were required to report it. And so there, thereby is the reason for the fine. Uh, the independent investigation has noted, however, that um, in its view, the Timbers did not engage in a cover-up or try to pressure Genesis Alarcon, as has been alleged in the media by uh, both her lawyer and others. Um, the charges specifically stemming from the May 23rd incident were not pursued by the DA or by Genesis Alarcon herself. Uh, and throughout her process uh, in this, her focus really has been... Um, to get money for herself and her kids and not uh, to put Polo behind bars or to charge him with, with any crimes. They've, they've been very clear about that. In fact, in their civil lawsuit, um, both her and her lawyer, Michael Fuller uh, based out of Portland have said that they don't want um, to 
ruin Andy Polo's name or to to prevent him from having an opportunity to play professional soccer. They just want what they believe she deserves in terms of compensation to take care of their children. Um, right now, uh, as things stand, uh, the investigation is over. Um, as far as the MLS is concerned into whether or not the Timbers covered this up, uh, as has been alleged in the past, uh, there are no other specific alleged incidents involving Andy Polo and, and Genesis Alarcon. Uh, her suit is, is still ongoing, um, with the Timbers, uh, having been named as a co-defendant. Uh, but at this stage, um, the club sees this as really the end of, of the Andy Polo saga and its connection to, to this issue. Um, that doesn't mean that, that off field issues are going away necessarily for the front office. I mean, you have to take into account that they are still dealing with the uh, fallout from the Paul Riley investigations, which are still ongoing. Um, and we'll see where the team goes from here. So just a, a matter of sort of housekeeping on my end, uh, because I think most people uh, who are plugged into the, the Timbers and Thorns Twitterverse know me as kind of a loudmouth. Uh, you, you'll <laughs> notice that when, when it comes to things uh, related to the club, because of some professional entanglements that I have and some professional responsibilities that I have, when it comes to sort of the off-field things where there are, are, are sort of legal issues at play, uh, on this podcast, on this medium, I'm going to be a little bit more reserved. But that doesn't mean that I can't help facilitate the conversation with Ryan, uh, which, which I certainly will do uh, and will be happy to do. So, uh, to uh, everybody out there in the world, uh, if you think on some certain issues that I might be uncharacteristically quiet, you're not crazy. There's a reason for it, uh, and, 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 and that's just what it is. Um, but I'm more than happy uh, to sort of help Ryan uh, sort of get his reporting out there. Uh, get some of the facts out there that are known and, and provide some context when, when he can, which is why, Ryan, I mean, my, I guess the question uh, that, that's raised by that is just where do you think things go from here? Obviously, there are other things out there. Um, where do you think uh, things for the, the, the broader club, PTSC, uh, are going to be going over the course of the next few months? I think it's really going to be a wait and see type of situation with how the Paul Riley scandal unfolds and, and how those investigations determine different members of the front office's involvement in, in these um, issues and, and their knowledge of, of what happened. Um, obviously Timbers fans and Thorns fans, they're, they're frustrated. You know, they, they have voiced their concerns on social media. They have protested at games and outside of games. Um, in general, the, the f- fan base and the, and the Timbers army and the row city riveters leadership, there seems to be a tension between them and the front office uh, due to this, issue of, of transparency in, in these two instances being the Andy Polo situation and the Paul Riley situation. Um, what we can take away from MLS's report is yes, um, the league was able to clear them of, of intentionally covering up the Andy Polo situation or trying to coerce Genesis Alarcon to not testify or not uh, pursue charges in that case. But um, and, and this is something that I've, I've seen others pull out of the situation as well. Th- this is incompetence, frankly, on the part of the front office to either not know the rules of reporting such an incident or to be willfully ignorant of those rules is a problem. And, and I think that, um, 
being more personally accountable, individuals in the front office need to communicate that to to fans in uh, tangible ways. Now, there has been a, a great deal of progress in terms of the initiatives that the Timbers and Thorns front office have announced. Uh, they recently spoke about a dozen um, initiatives that they're moving forward with, which I personally think are um, really solid progress and and a country mile further than a lot of other sports teams would go in in terms of connecting with the community, focusing on diverse perspectives, hiring individuals whose specific job it is to alleviate these concerns. But at the same time, um, you can't continue to make these type of mistakes and not do the right thing from the jump uh, and expect people to believe you when uh, push comes to shove and when those moments come where you um, may be faced with something like this again. So I, in my view, it's it's really important for uh, the front office to continue to strive for additional transparency, to communicate with the public more uh, and try to find ways to, to bridge those gaps. Because right now, no matter what they do and no matter what initiatives they announce, um, there's a segment of, of Timbers and Thorns fans that frankly will not budge. You know, I, I will say I, I certainly agree with you that that sort of the the, the steps that the that PTFC outlined uh, going forward that they're going to take some of the changes that they made within the club to me are are very welcome. Um, and you know, without without commenting sort of on the on on the underlying issues or, or whether that's enough, in my view, those are progress. Uh, and and progress is I think something to be to be welcomed and to be cheered. Um, you know, w- w- whenever it comes, and so I, I think those are those are good steps forward. Uh, and hopefully they can be building blocks uh, toward, you know, sort of a, a better, more tranquil uh, future here uh, here in the Portland area. I just I do want to turn for a second uh, to the NWSL investigation. Obviously, it's a much broader investigation than what MLS was doing. Uh, it has also been going on for much longer. Do you have a sense uh, as to when we might reasonably expect to hear more from the NWSL uh, and its investigators? Uh, or is that still a bit of a black box as we sit here today? It really is a black box. I mean, I, I, I have heard nothing specifically in the way of when we might be able to expect, um, tangible results from that investigation. But I, I would imagine that those in the, in the, um, PTFC front office are hoping that it's as soon as possible because, um, their focus right now, they, they really want to get, as you said, to a more tranquil space and, and to be able to, repair the relationship with the fans um, and and allow for more of a focus of what is happening on the field. Obviously you can't, can't ignore those issues, but um, the the front office really wants to get to the point where um, these are issues of the past and that they are able to move forward in a, in a positive direction uh, with both clubs so that the um, they can repair those relationships. So we should move on to the on-field stuff because that's what this podcast is about as well. Uh, Certainly, uh, the Timbers we saw uh, last week with a 1-1 draw uh, against Orlando City uh, through five games now. uh, It's been it's been a lot of draws. Kind of feels like a a 2013 sort of vibe uh, with 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 all the draws. Three draws, one win, one loss. Uh, Let's start with the Orlando City game, and then we can sort of expand from there with the initial impressions from the first five weeks uh, as a whole. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from uh, from the game against uh, against the Lions? 
I think that it, it was a story that has kind of been the case throughout the season and that, you know, their attack, it, it lacks a, a bit of creativity when Blanco's not out there, you know, and, and I understand Gio's desire to, you know, ease him back into it, make sure he's fit, make sure he's healthy, not rush him, uh, try to avoid any type of injury. But, um, I, I think looking at him, I think he's ready to, to start and play 65 to 70. And, and I, I think he's the straw that stirs the drink, as as Sam's filler said the other day on Twitter. He's the the fiery little straw that stirs the the drink for the Timbers. Um, they they need him out there, frankly. And uh, Nizgoda, uh, it's nice to see him back out there, and he scored a goal uh, in the the Dallas game. A nice goal too. You know, that, that was that was that was pretty well taken. Uh, full credit to him. Yeah, no, it, it was awesome. Uh, and, and it was a great moment for him coming back from the injury he had. But, um, as you've pointed out, uh, statistically, he's really struggling and, um, having somebody like, um, Blanco out there to, to, um, add to the creativity and set up better chances, not only for maybe him, but for somebody else in that spot, maybe when Mora comes back, um, is going to be crucial. Um, Aspria also, you know, I, I think he's a great personality. Um, he's a great guy. I've, I've met him. He's he's always been extremely friendly at, at the trainings uh, that I've attended for the Timbers. And had a tremendous 2021. Yes, and he had a tremendous year last year. So far, I'm not seeing it. Uh, he, he has not contributed a whole lot in the way of, you know, quality chances for himself or others. Um, he, he's been aggressive. He's been a um, a tough defensive player in a lot of spots, but... Um, Beyond that, I mean, it, as as a winger, I, it, he seems a little lost sometimes. I agree with many of those points. Uh, the one thing that I that I also think is worth pointing out is is when when Blanco's not in uh, in the the eleven for that attack, a lot really falls on the shoulders of Jimmy Chara, whether he's playing centrally or, or whether he's flaring out wide. Uh, to some extent, just because of where Santiago Moreno is and in, in his developmental curve, just because of the the kind of player that Dairon Espria is, he's not. Uh, sort of a connector. He's not much of a playmaker. He's, uh, he's, he's, you know, a guy that's going to be a bit more direct. A lot falls on Jimmy Chara. And, so, you know, I think, frankly, as Jimmy Chara goes, so that attack is going to go without Blanco. Uh, and that's why I think you, when you saw him play ever so well, uh, in that game, uh, against New England, the Timbers attack looked pretty darn good. Um, but since he's fallen off of form just a little bit over the course of the last few weeks, I think that leads to a lot of the struggles. But, you know, I'm going to get back to this uh, in the hot take segment that remains to be named later um, uh, <laughs> as we get toward the end of the show. Uh, but not having Nishgoda sort of contributing materially to the buildup, not having Nishgoda really doing a whole lot to present himself for chances, I think kind of makes it so that they're always fighting with one hand behind their back. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, let's put a pin in that issue because I intend in to, to, to come back to it. Um, but I think that, that, that's a, a big factor. Stepping back though, I think one thing to be, to be pretty excited about is the defense. Um, it looks like, you know, central defense in particular, uh, was something that I think was a very reasonable concern, uh, for Timbers fans and depth there was a very reasonable concern coming into the season. Uh, Laris Mabiala is getting older. We still haven't seen him on the field. Uh, from, uh, from the hernia surgery that he had in preseason. Uh, but he's certainly, you know, getting up there in years. Uh, Dario Zuparic has been, I think, a steady, but certainly not elite presence for the Timbers, uh, in central defense. Bill Tuilona, 
I think has been at times very good for the Timbers over the course of the last couple of years, but has also had some, some shockers. Um, and then Zach McGraw was untested. So I think that was a position that a lot of folks had concerns about. And over the course of the first five weeks, and I thought this was the case again against Orlando. I thought it was the case uh, against Austin. Um, that back line has generally done well. Certainly some issues uh, in, in the game at Dallas, but frankly, those issues were pretty comprehensive. Um, and so yeah. <laughs> I, just want, I, just, I don't want to, you know, single, single them out for things that were, that were struggling, uh, you know, for, for struggles that were all over the field. Right. Yeah. And you've got, you've got like a, a Texas curse to contend with too, you know, some, some <laughs> yeah. bad juju that's just in the air, no matter where you go in, in Lone Star State. I mean, my God. Except in the playoffs. Except in the playoffs. Yeah. It's, it's just a truly terrifying bit of, of numbers to look at. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think the back line has been really strong. Um, McGraw has been really excellent you know he's he's yeah. tough he's he's like a linebacker out there sometimes you watch him he's towering over some of these these tiny little forwards he's, he's just a he's a really tough guy tough presence um gets his head in there is very consistent in making opportunities for um for them to clear and and you know um having zuperich back has been good to to have a steady veteran presence but Tui Loma before he left for the uh, New Zealand national team was, I thought great. You know, I, yeah. I thought he, he was really solid through the, he had moments where he, he would slip up here and there. But other than that, I mean, he, he, he's had his headed chances at goal. He, he loves using his noggin. That's, that's been exciting on that end, but certainly for New Zealand too, scoring goals for fun. He just loves against, it against, against the mighty power of the Solomon Islands. I know. Yes. The, the almighty Solomon Islands. <laughs> 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 but uh yeah i mean as a defender he he's terrific you know he he's been very physical and aggressive and and the type of player geo wants um in in that spot filling in for for two guys in in Zuprich and Mabiala who who last year started and were solid you know and i think that that right center back spot in particular uh when you're talking about the center back who's going to line up next to at least for the moment uh, Jose Von Ronakin. And let's also put a pin in that one because I yes. need to come back to that too. I'll, I um, also do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it's important to have that player be somebody who's going to be strong in the air because Von Ronakin is not. Uh, and so you're going to be relying on that center back both to cover some space, uh, when, when, when he gets isolated, but, but you're also going to be really relying on them to win balls in the air. Uh, and, and McGraw has, has shown a growing prowess. Uh, for doing that. In the few moments that we saw McGraw last year, he wasn't great uh, sort of at, at, at using that. And, and winning balls in the air is certainly about size. Uh, that matters. But it's also about reading situations and being aggressive. And I think when we first saw McGraw in the first glimpses last year, he wasn't always, didn't always have sort of that aggressiveness, um, which is understandable given that they were his first MLS appearances. Um, but he seems to have really grown into that uh, and, and has become more of a presence there, which I think makes him, you know, I mean, he, he looks like an, uh, an MLS center back. I don't know if it's, if he's an MLS starting center back, uh, but he certainly looks like the kind of guy who's going to be in this league for a number of years. Um, and, and if he can keep growing, I don't see any reason why uh, he wouldn't be a guy who the Timbers could look to to start down the road. And so I think that's been, that's been a big positive. And then central midfield, uh, you know, I mean, Diego Char is doing what Diego Char does, notwithstanding the passage of time. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think that's been huge. Christian Paredes has had some, some nice moments, 
Um, uh, David Ayala in coming in uh, had some nice moments, uh, had a little bit of a rougher go uh, in, in that Dallas game where everybody had a little bit of a rougher go. So I don't think there's a, a whole lot you can throw necessarily on his plate. Yeah, talk about a baptism by fire. You used that phrase earlier. He he was like engulfed. I mean, it was absolute brutality for him in, in that game. But yeah, you know, he he looked solid. When he turns twenty one in like two years, you, you and you and Davi can get a drink and talk about your your introduction <laughs> uh, to, to the Timbers uh, and, and share your experiences. When I was I was perusing the roster uh, before this season, and um, I saw on his bio that he was born in two thousand and three. My body, my body turned to dust. I mean, I'm only 26, and I've I felt like an rapidly aging old man when I when I read that that kid was born in 03. But you know, it it's the world we live in. <laughs> I graduated I graduated high school in 2003, which I think like I think now that he's playing for the Timbers, that officially just makes me the old white guy who talks about sports on the internet. <laughs> I, I think we can officially uh, w w that. Yeah, we'll we'll. Uh, <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll change. I'll, I'll change my Twitter bio. Um, yes, but uh, but you know, I, I think he's been good. Getting Eric Williamson back into the fold is going to be a big help. I think that central midfield really has the opportunity to be you know a real strength um, for the for this team going forward. Uh, Jimmy Chara obviously has played there sort of as the the eight slash the the free eight or ten, um, and, and I think that has a, a chance to be a real strength uh, for this team uh in terms of the game against orlando so let's let's narrow down uh a little bit what were your impressions sort of about about how the 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 game went along did you think it was an okay performance um or did you come away underwhelmed i i was a little underwhelmed i I think that that was a game with with orlando missing some guys um that you feel like portland needs to get three points out of something like that especially with how poorly the dallas game went and wanting to bounce back um Start was a little sluggish, but um, you know they. It, it was almost a nightmare, no point scenario there when um, they were down to ten men. But thankfully, Paredes saved him, um, drew a great foul in the box, and put that PK home. Um, other otherwise, they were they were teetering on the brink there against a, an undermanned Orlando team. They had three key players that were out for their national teams, so it. Um, it was a little underwhelming. I think that putting together a complete performance, one that looks more like um, that New England opener where, um, yes, it was a draw, but you know it, it felt like a more complete team performance on, on both ends um, is something that they really are hoping for on Sunday against the Galaxy. Yeah, and I think they're probably going to need it. I, my impressions were similar. You know, it was funny. It really seemed early on that the Timbers were having a hard time tracking the runs out of midfield that junior urso was making and i thought maybe in the in the in the second half of the first half uh, you know uh, around the the half hour or so they figured that out <laughs> little did i know again they failed to track one uh you know early in the second half he, he came through free into the box and, and, and scores that goal i thought it was a pretty well taken goal i don't think there's there, there was a whole lot, uh, other than fail, the, the failure to track him. It's not like it was an embarrassing goal for the Timbers to give up. But, you know, I mean, the, the, that was not a particularly strong Orlando City game. Uh, you may hear some growling in the background. That's, that's my, my dog Jerry expressing his displeasure, uh, <laughs> at my take there, uh, about Orlando City. You know, I, I, I thought otherwise it was about as sleepy of a first half as you're going to see, uh, see the Timbers play. Um, not that they played horrifically. It wasn't like the first half in Dallas, which, you know, 
goodness help us, hopefully that's going to be about the worst half we're going to see from the Timbers this, uh, this, this season. Um, but certainly, you know, I mean, it, it, it was not one that they're going to put a bow on um, and that they're going to point to as, as, as being uh, as being a successful one. I thought they looked a little bit better as they got into the second half, certainly when Blanco came in. And even for a little bit uh, after uh, Von Ronkin's red card, which, by the way, I don't think you can say much about either of the yellow cards. They were yellow cards. Yes. Um, I don't think you I, I think you, you can you can say quite a bit about Ron Ron Keen's decision making and the positions he puts himself in where he's having to to pull guys back and block them off because he's getting beat. Um I'm not fully there yet. Uh <laughs> I'm just putting little notes, little breadcrumbs into my feelings about Jose Von Ronkin's performance so far. Um uh yeah. but you know, I, 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 even after that I thought they looked pretty good. I thought Blanco provided a little bit of energy and frankly I didn't think the equalizer came out of nowhere. Um, I thought the Timbers looked looked dangerous for for a few minutes there and keen uh, to get an equalizer and and you know full credit to them for that salvage job that they did to at least get a point uh, out of that game. But from a ten thousand foot perspective, that's got to be three points. That wasn't yeah. a very good Orlando City team that came to Portland. The you know they were pretty shorthanded. Uh, you know I'm not sh- I'm not convinced that Orlando City is is much better than a mid table team. In the first instance, and they were missing three of the best players. I mean, they didn't have Fukuda Torres, who does look really good, um, and, 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 and a couple other. I mean, you know, that's got to be three points at home. Uh, and, you know, only missing Bill Tuiloma. Uh, I think the Timbers also had the, the sort of better of the, the available personnel on the day. And so uh, there aren't a lot of things that I think you can look to to say, well, actually, it's an okay result, because, frankly, it's not. Um, a little bit of a disappointment, but hey, you know, if you've been hanging around uh, Portland, watching Portland soccer in the month of March, that's nothing new for you. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a very familiar feeling uh, for those of us around these parts. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the March draws, I guess, are a little a little better than maybe potential March was that uh, that could rear their their ugly head. Yes, you'd rather be taking those draws against Western Conference teams to whom you're also denying points. Um, yes. So the draw, the the draws against uh, against New England or in Orlando are kind of just lost That's opportunities. Tough. If you're drawing the LA Galaxy, you feel at least a little bit better about it because they're not coming away with points either. Um, but at this point, you know, with with five, five six points through <laughs> through five games, math is a thing. Uh, Long time listeners of the show will know that math is a thing for me. Uh, with six points through five games, they've got to be thinking uh, three points against a Galaxy team that has varied back and forth between looking pretty coherent defensively and utterly incoherent uh, as they did in, in, in their 3-2 loss uh, at Seattle. Again, as they dominated, I thought that played pretty well in, other than the fact that, that Juliana Rajo just lost his mind repeatedly. Um, so, you know, which, which Galaxy team is going to show up to Portland, I think, is a, is, is a real question. Definitely. Looking forward to that one. Hey, this is Ryan. You are listening to Soccer Made in Portland. We will be right back after a quick break. It's going to be a busy weekend of of soccer uh, in the Portland area. Uh, we 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 very busy. Uh, we already had a midweek uh, Thorns game where they whooped up on uh, Angel City FC. Looked really good in the second half. A little. Um, bit of a struggle in the first half, but 3-0 for, for the Thorns um, over Angel City. Uh, they look ahead now to OL Reign on Saturday. Um, so far, the Thorns have have 
been a little up and down in the Challenge Cup. It, it's been um, you've seen glimpses of what they can be. I, I think that's a product of of them adjusting to to Reen Wilkinson's new system, um, but also. Um, the talent they have is really breaking through. I mean, you can see it. I mean, Sophia Smith is a stud. She, she, I uh, will keep this out of the um, hot take of the week section and, and just go out on a limb and say she will lead the thorns and goals score this season. No, it's not at all. A hot take. No doubt you, in my mind. You, that is a very lukewarm take at best. Yeah. If you brought that in the hot take segment to be named later, I would, I would just, just reject that. Smack it back in your face. The Good. Wag my finger at the same time. No, 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 not today. So, <laughs> not today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the thorns are, um, looking strong in some areas and, and, uh, adjusting in others, you know, um, they, the news today that, um, was first reported by Meg Linehan at the athletic, but, um, was later confirmed today by the thorns is that they are, signing uh, Janine Becky to a three-year deal, uh, which adds to their depth and talent up top. I mean, they already have Christine Sinclair, Sophia Smith, and others uh, up there that are... Morgan Weaver, uh, I, I think I think really stands to, to have a breakthrough season if she can put it together. Yeah, no, so it, it's um, an embarrassment of riches up there for them, which, which is exciting, I'm sure, for Thorns fans. It is uh, an embarrassment of riches. I tell you, but I, I think the biggest question, and this is the thing that I'm maybe most excited about for the, through the first few weeks, uh, is in that central midfield. I mean, look, this is a Thorns team that had. I mean, so so this this would be a good candidate for the hot takes I'm going to be named later. <laughs> One of the best central midfield central midfields in uh, in sort of domestic club women's soccer history in the United States last year. Uh, that central midfield with Angela Salem playing MVP quality play uh, at the six, Lindsey Horan, who for me is still a top five player in this country. Um, uh, and, and, and then sort of a, a, a rotating cast in, in the, in the other member of that central midfielder between Christine Sinclair, who in her own right has, you know, a couple credentials to her name Just a few. Uh, and uh, Crystal Dunn, uh, Rocky Rodriguez, uh, all of whom uh, put in some really quality uh, minutes for them uh, in that spot. That central midfield was crazy last year, and a lot of that is gone. Uh, obviously, Dunn uh, is, is out for a, the best reason imaginable um, uh, as she gets ready to welcome a new member of her family. Um, uh, you know, Lindsay Horan uh, has gone has gone back to Europe. Uh, Angela Salem is pursuing uh, other uh, other activities uh, in, in in going down. It looks like the coaching route, which is which, if it comes together, is is a no-brainer um given the way you can see her mind work as she solves problems over the course of a game she very much seems like the kind of person who would be a tremendous coach but look when you have when you have that much disruption really in your engine room i mean i'm very much a believer in central midfield being sort of critical to the coherence of a team um and you're completely revamping your in your engine room at the same time that you're bringing in a new coach that really had a lot of potential for for having some serious growing pains in the first half of this year. And that very well may still be in the future. I don't want to say that we're out of the woods and spike the ball in the 10-yard line here uh, in, in, in that respect, but I think you've got to be pretty excited uh, about how they've kind of cobbled together uh, with Hinesugita still yet to, to be fully fit and in form, um, how they've been able to, to, to hold down central midfield uh, in, in these games you know, I, I thought against Angel City, 
Um, and granted, it's an Angel City team that, you know, speaking of growing pains, it has some real growing pains to go through before Big it's going to be, yeah, it, before it's going to be fully competitive. And frankly, between it and San Diego, I think the Western Division is looking pretty, pretty there for the picking. Uh, <laughs> if either the rain or the thorns, uh, have, have a good start. Um, but you know, through the first three games, I think you've got to be pretty pleased, uh, with how that unit has performed. Um, and I think enormous credit goes to Wilkinson for that. Um, that's a really difficult job to step into. Uh, it, it's much easier to step into uh, a team if you have that core, if you have that spine already assembled. She didn't. Um, and, and, and through these first, uh, you know, three official games, um, they've done a nice job there. Uh, so, you know, that, that to me is, is maybe the biggest thing going forward. Uh, the biggest question, because I agree with you, uh, up front, Sophia Smith is looking like a star. Uh, I think you've, you've got, uh, you've got Kuika on the right who looks phenomenal, uh, has had a really great start to the season, uh, at, at right wing back, uh, in the five that they've largely been playing. Um, and, and, you know, they still have some absences on the back line, but it hasn't hurt them, uh, because I think they've got good depth there. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, when when you've got Kelly Hubley uh, and and Emily Menges who who are, are sort of holding down that back line, uh, both talented uh, and, and certainly with respect to to Emily, uh, veteran presences. Uh, I I think that's you know that's still going to be a strength for you. You can welcome Becky Sauerbrunn back into that 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 uh, that equation, um, and and that's a strength. Um, and so, you know, overall, I think that's been pretty impressive uh, because even though Angel City had a good amount of the ball, really didn't create much to speak of. Uh, and, and that speaks to how well the Thorns controlled that game. And then when you have players who can make plays like Sophia Smith, and my goodness, that was so dirty on that goal. That oh, was, man. <laughs> that, was, that was unreal. <laughs> hard to watch. <laughs> When you have game breakers like that, uh, you know, if you can control the game, then you just put it in, in, in Soph's hands and say, go win the game for us. And she's going to do that a lot. So that, I mean, that's a, that, that's promising. I think it's been just because I, after saying a lot of positive things, I've got to steal just a little bit of joy. Sure. Um, I, I think, I think there's an argument to be made that they've been a little bit of flat track heroes, um, so far and that the schedule has been, has been pretty favorable, um, to date, but you can only play the teams in front of you. Uh, and, and the Thorns certainly had some open questions and probably still have some open questions, uh, that they needed to answer themselves. Um, so, you know, I, again, uh, not out of, out of the woods, um, but certainly a positive start. Uh, and, yes. and I think, you know, a, a, another game against a, a, a rain team that I think everybody expects to be at least solid, um, will be a, another, you know, helpful checkpoint, uh, coming up, uh, this next weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really exciting game. And the last time they played when they were in Seattle, I went up there at Lumen Field. It was great. Over 7000 fans there, um, you know, all packed into one side of the stadium so they could really, you know, jam in there and, and cheer on their team. It was it was a fun atmosphere for sure. Um, and, and it's cool to see the growth of NWSL um, too. Um, you, you look at San Diego Wave FC, their opener. Uh, against the thorns uh, was a sellout uh, down there at usd really exciting stuff to to see the women's game grow like that and to um, see more people uh, filling in in the stands um, this is a thorns team that um, for all intents and purposes is the odds-on favorite to to win um, 
win it all this year uh, in NWSL. Um, at, at in terms of the, the issues that that they face um, early on, some of them have been adjustment um, related. You know, you look at the the. It is not common for for a team to to operate in a three five two. It it, um, it is something that players have admitted to to me and to other members of the media has taken a significant adjustment. And and um, Reen is willing to move people around. She um, envisions people in different spaces than you might imagine. Um, but so far, um, despite the the lack of quality of competition, it has seemed to start to work out. Um, you mentioned Hina Sugata. I, so far she, she's been my favorite player to watch on, on the thorns. She is just so precise and so, um, focused and, and excellent really in the central midfield for them. She, it really doesn't feel like she ever makes a mistake, which is, you know, crazy to, to think about and as physical as the game is and how, you know, slight she is. Uh, she, she has rarely made a mistake. She's avoided contact when she's needed to. She's drawn fouls. Uh, when necessary without, you know, breaking in half, but, um, her passing is terrific. She, she puts in some great through balls and, and she's just a really talented player. And that's critical to fill her in immense boots, uh, in, in, yes. in, that, in, in central midfield in that two way role. I, I, I think, uh, I think if they didn't get that signing right, uh, it, it not only would have taken them out of, out of, you know, out of the running, uh, in, in 2022, it would have made it a pretty tough year, uh, and it could have made it pretty ugly. Uh, so, uh, and you know, I mean, we, we still have yet to see her, uh, sort of in her, in her full, full glory as a thorn, uh, that acclimation period is still very much ongoing. Uh, and so, um, that's something that, that, that I think we can, we can sort of expect and hope for, uh, further growth from. I'm interested in your thoughts though on how you think the forward unit is going to work out. Uh, now with Becky coming coming into the team, um, obviously it, it looks like they're probably pretty committed to that two front. Although I don't know that for sure, um, but it's but it seems like that like like a two forward system is is, is what Wilkinson primarily thinks uh, she's going to run. It makes sense with Sophia Smith um, because she's just the kind of player that if you're going to play her as a forward, uh, is going to need somebody to, to 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 work with on her level. Um, but as you noted, <laughs> there is another player of some repute who also plays that position uh, primarily, and Christine Sinclair. Uh, there's Becky now, uh, and and then there there's Morgan Weaver. How do you think that rotation is going to work out uh, between the four of them? Well, it's a good problem to have. Coaches coaches love to say that that oh, you know, our depth is a good problem to have. It is, but you you want to make use of all of those players too. You don't want to, you know put somebody on the sidelines who, who could be contributing for you and maybe an out of position role. Um, to me, it's it stick. Sophia Smith is really the only, you know, guarantee at this point. I, th- I think she's, she's locked in there. Um, I like the idea of starting Becky, um, once she's fit and having Sinclair as like a super sub. I mean, that talk about, a super sub, right? I mean, Christine Sinclair, the goat, you know, it's, it's like, it's hard to, um, hard to imagine a better person in such a position. Um, uh, I could see them moving Weaver back too. you know, I, I, I don't imagine, um, that Wilkinson is terribly shy about moving people around. Uh, and, and Weaver has the skills to, to potentially play elsewhere. Um, 
it, you want to give her give her time though because she she's a talented young star in her own right. I mean, we saw that absolute rocket that she fired off uh in the Angel City FC game. She yeah. Yeah, she she after the game she she's got this big smile. She's such a warm personality. Um she goes, "Yeah, I just hit it as hard as I could." And I was like, "Yeah, that makes we sense. That. You we <laughs> saw it. You totally did." Um so she she's great. Um I think you got to find a way to to work her in there. Um you know, it, it'll be an adjustment period and there are only so many minutes to go around. Um but you know, Sink isn't going to play forever. I, I think you she's capable of of going 75 80 90 minutes but um I, now with with uh becky added into the fold i don't think we're ever really going to see that again i, I think that she's going to be somebody who if she does start she, she'll have a short shorter shift than usual um and if she doesn't she's going to be the super sub of all super subs which and i think you're right that she would be a true super sub she would be the kind of player who you would be expecting to get 25 30 minutes in basically every game and the reason for that She's so positionally versatile. You can bring her into midfield. You can play her as a 10. You can even play her as an eight. Uh, you can put her up top. Um, she, she is, is the kind of player, you know, I mean, there are some players who, even though they might be good options off the bench, they're sort of really situational, uh, options off the bench where if you need a goal or if you want to have more wit, you're going to bring that player on. Christine Sinclair is, 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 is a Swiss army knife coming off the bench. Um, somebody who you can, who you can sensibly work into a lot of different situations in a lot of different game states. And so I think you were right that that is a role that really seems to suit her. It also just saves, saves some bullets. Um, right over the course of, this, of, of a season when, when, I mean, you know, she's, she's getting, I mean, she's basically in, in sort of the Diego Chara level of ageless, uh, at, at this point. But, uh, certainly, you, you know, to the extent that you can save some of those bullets, uh, that's great. I do really like it and, and, and we'll see how the dynamic plays out with Becky because I think conceptually it could work this way as well. I really like pairing Sophia Smith with another really athletic forward. Um, and I think Morgan Weaver scratches that itch, uh, really, really fills that role well because then you can either have them play close together and sort of play and run off of each other or you can spread them out. Uh, and, and Smith is, is so dangerous when she's isolated against defenders. Uh, that, that sometimes creating that space with your two forwards, spreading them out a bit, which I think is what they did, uh, with Angel, with Angel City, uh, a decent amount. And getting her isolated in space can just be such a terror, uh, for an opposing back line. There are some players in a two front who sort of have a particular kind of way, uh, that, 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 that you need to, that you need to play them. They need to be playing close together with their strike partner, uh, so that they can run off of each other. Um, I, I think Smith is somebody who you don't want to be, uh, locked into playing that way with your two forwards, because if you can spread them wider, uh, and see if you can pull center backs out or see if you can pull, uh, sort of pin, uh, an, an, an opposing fullback in, uh, with them. I think that's, that's a, a, you know, sort of a, a state in, in, in which Smith is really good. And I think she is exceptionally good when she's able to start wide. Um, and so how that works out, I, I agree with you that Becky is probably the, the likeliest strike partner for, for Smith. Um, how that relationship works out with, the, works out with them and whether they can be effective, uh, with a little bit more space between them, uh, I think, I think is a, is a question to be answered. All right. I think we should move on. We've already run longer Absolutely. than, uh, than we anticipated. So let's, let's get a quick hot take segment to be named later in. Ryan, you're up first. Uh, lay it on me. Lay your, lay your hot. Hottest heat uh, on me now. 
All right. Uh, well, it, it may not be my hottest heat of the season, uh, since I, I would imagine, um, there are a great many Timbers fans who, based on recent events, would uh, agree strongly. Uh, but I think Justin Rasmussen is ready to to hop in there for uh, for Von Ronkeen. Um, I right now I <laughs> I am not a fan of of what Von Ronkeen has brought um, to to them, and I, I think that in the moments that we have seen Rasmussen. Um, He's shown some legitimate high level skill and, and Bill Tuiloma said this to me, um, after the press conference, he goes, that guy can get a cross in. And, and I, I would agree. You know, he, he, um, Bill has praised his ability to do that. And you, you look at the numbers. I mean, uh, when Justin started against, uh, Austin FC in that game, uh, led the team with nine recoveries, uh, was tied for the lead with four crosses. And they were good crosses too. I mean, he he has the ability to to put a nice one in there. Um, sticking with um, a young guy who um, has higher potential, and and you know, giving them that uh, opportunity, uh, it worked out with Zach McGraw. So my my toasty take would be to to see how it works out with Justin Rasmussen. Uh, it, it may conveniently um, allow itself uh, since Von Rankin will not be. Uh, available next game. So may- maybe just keep rolling with it after that. See how it goes. Rasmussen to date has been primarily a left-sided player, but I think that's a, that's a, a question uh, as to whether he's a guy who they're willing to give a, a big look to on the right. Yeah. They put him in there too. Um, I, I think in, in the last yeah. little, you know, garbage time stage of Dallas, just for, for that aspect, I, I think, it's important to to note only because you know Geo yeah. might might see an opportunity to move him over there. But go uh, ahead. I I do want to say I feel like I left breadcrumbs for my hot take throughout the course of this pod, and you just like walked up and ate my sandwich, dude. Oh, oh man. <laughs> uh, look, I, I mean, Jose Valdarquin, even when if and when he comes back into the team after his suspension, um, he's he's not playing like his job is on the line, and it is. Um, you got to remember that that with the way the Timbers structured that loan uh, with, uh, with with Chivas, uh, they have a number of sort of escape routes of off ramps from the the Jose Van Ranquin experience. Uh, he could be gone as early as, as as the summer transfer window, where the Timbers have a right to basically end his loan early uh, and wash their hands. Um, and so, if Van Ranquin wants to stick in Portland, he's going to have to play an awful lot better. Uh, than he has over the co- over the course of the last two games. I mean, there were parts of that first half in Dallas. Uh, I've I've repeatedly declined to put a lot on individual players because of because of the comprehensive nature of that failure. There were parts with Van Arkin that were just a disaster, just a an utter meltdown. Um, he looked like like I would look at a soccer field in moments, and let me tell you, it would not look I would not look good. Uh, just completely lost at times. Um, and, and, and he's just not playing like a guy who looks like he's fighting for his job. Um, and, and whether it's Rasmussen, whether it's Pablo Bonilla, who I think an open invitation has been issued to, uh, to come take this job. I'm not sure he has accepted that invitation yet. Uh, but, but I think that invitation is very much there. Um, whether it's Rasmussen, whether it's Bonilla or whether it's somebody that they go out to get, uh, in, 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 in the summer window, uh, that spot is is very much open, and frankly, I think you've got to say the same thing about striker as I transfer to my hot take. Um, 
Jaris Lovnijgoda's performance over the course of the first five weeks just baffles me. Uh, this is a a guy who everything is sort of put on a plate. It is there. It is there for his taking. Uh, it, he has been brought in, uh, and I know that there have been injury issues that are, that have that have sort of prevented him from from fully establishing himself. But he was brought in to start, and so and and given that he still has the DP tag, the Timbers would have liked nothing else. Uh, nothing more than for him to step up uh, in these first few weeks with with Mora out and sort of make his claim for why he should remain the starting number nine. And he's just not done that. You know, you can get away with being a low usage striker if you're scoring goals, <laughs> right? Joseph Martinez is not a high usage guy, but he scores 30 goals a year, so nobody cares. <laughs> but but you, but you've got to you've got to at least be producing regularly uh, if you want to be a guy who's not really involved in the buildup who they're not playing through uh, and he's just not and not only are they not playing through him not only are his passes received statistics horrific and they are it's like he's in the like fourth percentile uh, of forwards in MLS so far this year which is not oh. a good percentile. Uh, there are many percentiles above fourth. Uh, yes, that, that's your uh, that neato stat of the day there. Uh, yeah, exactly. fourth, fourth percentile, exactly. not good. Not good. <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, if if you're gonna be that low, you've got to be getting on the end of chances, and he's not. He's not getting getting on the end of chances. He had the one against Dallas, but otherwise, not only hasn't scored goals, but hasn't had many opportunities to. Um, and it's it's. It's a ticking time bomb for him. We know the Timbers are in the market to sign in a, a striker in the next month or two. John Champion, yep. known of that uh, on the broadcast that neither you or I watched because we were at the game uh, against yeah. Orlando, but he noted it. Um, obviously, Felipe Mora, who has been a consistent and pretty productive player for the, for the Timbers. I don't think he's been an elite striker, but he's certainly been a capable one, um, is, is not necessarily imminently returning, but soon, in the next, in the next few weeks, is expected to be getting back on the field. Yeah. Um, and so time's running out. Uh, if, unless we see something really significantly different from Nishgoda uh, over the course of the next two or three weeks, you, you got to think that, that the Timbers experience with Nishgoda is going to be coming to an end because he's another guy filling a DP spot whom the Timbers, if he's not producing, would love to offload uh, either at the end of this window or more likely in the summer. Definitely. If your response to my hot take is definitely, I need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> I'm not that persuasive. <laughs> no, I I agree with you. I mean, I I in general he he's been poor, you know, and our hot takes each week aren't going to be, you know, you know, world-ending, you know, scorched earth intense stuff. Maybe sometimes they will be and and that's what what the folks come to to listen for. But <laughs> um I I don't think either of us went out on too far of a limb. Um, in, in terms of our hot takes, because those are those are two guys in Von Ronkin and and Niskoda that, um, if you had to point to areas where the, the Timbers, um, could see their their needs of most improvement, uh, and it's early, but it's been a few games to see, um, it would be those two. Um, so I appreciate you, um, uh, uh, being able to go out on that limb. Our hot takes not being you know scorched or piping hot. Listeners should should hear that as an admission of our failures and a commitment to try to do better next time. Yes, <laughs> we are committed to a uh, twelve point plan on how we will be better 
uh, in terms of our hot takes in the future. Let's 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 wrap it there before this gets too navel gazy about the quality of our hot takes. Yeah, let's let's avoid the navel gazing and and let folks go. I appreciate you um, doing this with me, Chris. This has been a lot of fun and and looking very much forward to the future episodes of of Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, tune in each week, and we will be here to to discuss any and everything Timbers and Thorns. Uh, thanks again, guys. 